Okay, guys. So the Haftarah portion that we're going to be looking at is from the Kings. So it's uh, our subject is called the Kings and the Prophets, the voices of the Haftarah. So what does uh, what does sacred history um, bring to us? And let's remember what Kings is as a genre. We're looking at a, a genre of sacred history, and um, sacred history is is different from other genres. All, all genres are, are different. Sacred history is not a gospel. Sacred history is not a prophetic portion. Sacred history, you know, is not a psalm. It's not a piece of wisdom. It's a history history text. How do we use that? How do we apply that? What lessons can you can you learn from that and and uh, and, and and apply that to your life? It's very rare. That you use history um, to create a doctrine, right? That's uh, that's usually not not what you do. And um, an example of that in the New Testament, which I'm sure most of us will be familiar with, because we would have talked about it before. The Book of Acts is sacred history. The Acts of the Apostles is how the gospel goes west. It does not tell us how the gospel goes north or south or east. Okay, and as a history, as a History, we read it, we learn, we study it. There are, are principles we can apply, but because it's not a gospel, we don't read it as such and use it to create doctrine. For example, how do the apostles choose a new leader once we discover that our traitor has uh, committed suicide? Um, we, of course, send our newer student to a Bible college and he studies for three or four years, passes various exams, learns to speak three or four different languages, and then we hire him as an apostle. No, in the book of Acts, we cast lots, which we do not do when choosing new leaders. Mm -hmm. you know, although you'd, you'd probably think that's half of our bishops these days were actually casted by lots. But anyway, um, uh, so it's, as a piece of sacred history, we just need to, to, to know it's genre so the the we're looking at second kings four and it's attached to the torah portion Vayira, which is genesis 18 to 22 and if you're not familiar with uh that portion of scripture genesis 18 to, to 22 it is packed with uh stories and teaching you could spend weeks just studying just studying that. This is the portion that has um, Abraham pleading with God for the redemption of Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? This is this is the the portion of the Akidah, the binding of Isaac. This is the portion of sending out Ishmael from from the family, and 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 uh, this this is this is the portion of the promise of of Isaac and the sons. There's so much. So much packed in there, and it starts uh, just with with the phrase um, "Vayira," and he saw. And if you've all got your Jewish hats on, and by 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 this stage, I'm sure you've all got your Jewish hats on, coming to this sort of Bible study, you would ask the question, "And Abraham saw what?" And that's that's how rabbis start asking questions. What did he see? Um, did he see? I mean, obviously. Obviously, the text says he saw people, men. But did he see through them? Did he see the future? Did he see uh, history unfolding? Did he see a promise? Did, was he? What was he seeing? And uh, and uh, and so the rabbinical commentaries, what we call the midrash, 
they um, they like to run with those kinds of stories as they dig deep in, into the text. And uh, uh, what's a midrash? I hear you ask if you're not familiar. Well, it's a story that tells the truth, um, but itself is not true. Um, and uh, in the modern Christian speak, we call those sermons. And uh, so the, the, the midrash um, has Abraham sitting at his tent, eagerly waiting to be hospitable to someone. So in, in context, the, the story of Abraham sitting in his tent about to receive his three visitors comes after his circumcision. So the guy is 99 years old. He's just been circumcised. And, and, and the rabbinical commentaries leave no time in between uh, his circumcision and this event. So basically, according to the, the Midrash, Abraham, this is, it's, it's day two or three of his circumcision. He's still bleeding. Okay, He's feeling pretty sore. And he's desperate to be able to be hospitable to someone. He's watching the road. Who can I welcome into my tent? Who can I give water to? And so there's this eagerness of the patriarchs, this eagerness of the people of God to actually be loving and kind and hospitable and generous. And uh, even even when, when they're suffering. And uh, just a couple of quick uh, little stories of midrashim you may not be familiar with, um, with the the, the parasha uh, of Vayira, where the the three men, and in in the Hebrew they are described as men, even though later we know them as angels, and one seems to be God Himself because of the way uh, the text uh, alludes to His name, but. The, the rabbinical commentaries will always just say, no, 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 they're angels. Um, the the uh, the God makes the pro promise and prophecy that uh, Sarah will have a child. And she laughs and she says, uh, uh, will, I, will I know such pleasure? That's actually the Hebrew uh, phrase. Um, which is a very strange thing to say, right? Um, will I know such pleasure um, uh, as opposed to will I know the joy of having a son, right? You know, or will I know the, the joy of being able to have a family? Will I know such pleasure? What are you talking about? You ask. Well, the actual Hebrew there is um, Edna, and uh, it's the same Shoresh as Eden, the, uh, the Garden of Eden. And uh, the, the the rabbinical commentaries pick up on these these words because you wouldn't actually just read this; you would actually hear it. Would I know Edna? Would I be able to go back to the Garden of Eden? Would I go back to being fruitful again, where where we had the command to be fruitful and multiply? Would I know such joy as to return to Eden in my in my old age? And this is sort of like the 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 prophetic desire, the prophetic hope that um, that that. You know, age will disappear, the wrinkles will go, the gray hair will go, and, and we'll go back to, to being a vibrant, healthy, fertile, you know, um, a fruitful uh, community, society, world. And uh, so they, they sort of read this where, where uh, Sarah's saying, can, can I go back to this? Is, is it possible? 
And uh, and uh, the answer is yes. This is the hope, the uh, the idea of um, of returning returning to Eden. So there's there's that sort of bit there that's played up in uh, in in the in the in the text. Now, as the midrash keeps looking at at the in depth look at Abraham sitting there bleeding, like the blood of the circumcision, okay, and uh, he's being hospitable and he's taking care of his guests, and then the guests say, or God says, you're going to have uh, a son, and uh, Sarah conceives. Well, when does she conceive? I hear you ask. Well, the, the Midrash would say she conceives on Rosh Hashanah. And you are wonderful that uh, you know, you've managed to pick the day, um, and it's a nice special day. Um, and then what they say is, now this is this is where they... It's a, it's a fancy of the of the midrash, but remember, it's not, it's not important about its truth. It's it's important about what the truth it's telling is. Um, Isaac is born two months premature. Where do they come up with this? I hear you ask. Well, um, because seven months from Rosh Hashanah is what festival? Passover. Right. So they have. They have Isaac being born at Passover, and they're linking blood of Pesach, the blood of the Corban, or, uh, the Corban Pesach, the blood of the Passover sacrifice, with the blood of circumcision that Abraham had, with the promise of hope and the future, with what's going to happen at the Akidah, okay, which which is um, the binding of Isaac, and this portion Genesis 21-22, is always read on. Rosh Hashanah, and so this completes this incredible circle of uh, of Jewish uh, thought and exegesis, where they're diving into the Bible and they're finding all these links and uh, and thoughts, and uh, and yet still missing the Messiah. But it screams the Messiah, does it not? Yes, it does. It uh, it, it, it uh, the the idea of of this of being tested and um, uh, uh, and and Abraham of being obedient to the Lord. Although, because, because Abraham pleads for Sodom, right? Abraham, uh, the, the two angels are going to wander off and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sin, and Abraham begins, you know, to intercede, and he really gets stuck in there, and, uh, you know, he haggles God down um, uh, to ten people, of which you can't even find in these two cities, and that's sad. Um, the, the 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 rabbis will note, you know, he never actually says uh, lots in there, right? There's lots in Sodom. Could have said, hey, don't destroy Sodom. My nephew's there. I'm sure he's a good kid, right? That's uh, that we we haggle down to ten, even though Lot's only got a wife and two daughters. So you know, that's only four. Uh, Abraham can't haggle down to four. So you end up with this uh, concept of does Abraham actually like Lot? You know, um, did they have a falling out? And and um, which because obviously they did, and they went their separate ways. Um, even though Abraham is going to go and, and fight with him and rescue him and uh, and do those kinds of things. So Abraham argues for these wicked people, and uh, and and uh, and haggles God down to ten. But when God asks Abraham to offer Isaac, he doesn't argue. 
So he seeks to intercede for non-righteous people, but he won't intercede for righteous people, which is his own son. So there's this discussion within within the rabbinic commentaries like why does he not do that uh does abraham actually fail like was the test to argue with god and say what are you doing you know why would i uh uh, uh, uh sacrifice my son but uh with he does do do his obedience and the passover boy right is is uh becomes a sacrifice which is you know incredibly messianic when you think of of all of those of all of those themes uh, and the last thing i want to talk about uh of the of the portion we, before we leap into the, the haftarah is uh, on ishmael and this is actually relevant to some of what's going on today in our current crisis in the middle east with our war between hamas and israel is uh, some people have said this is the classic uh, ishmael versus isaac you know rivalry uh, that we have you know, with the Palestinians and, and Israel. This is just not true. Okay, let's let's look at the text. Hagar is the concubine, and uh, she gives birth to Ishmael. Okay, she's an Egyptian. So if Hagar's an Egyptian, what does that make Ishmael? Oh, I don't know. Uh, probably an Egyptian. Not only that, when he's um, actually sent out from the camp. His mother, Hagar, finds a wife for him who happens to be an Egyptian. So guess what the lineage of Ishmael is? Egyptian, right? They're not Arabs at all, right? So uh, this sort of idea that, that uh, Arabs are descended from Ishmael is actually biblically uh, rather unsound. And, uh, and, and it's so much so that in the Middle Ages, many, many rabbis were called Ishmael. Remember that Ishmael and Isaac actually get back together they 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 have some issues the the, the bible's you know one giant, giant story of a dysfunctional family the only good family is god's family um and uh but but ishmael and isaac re return together to to bury dad and uh and so they actually reconcile the tension that 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 uh, israel has with its neighbors is a is a is a much more ancient evil than uh ishmael versus isaac Right, because because the Bible has these guys reconciling. Jacob reconciles with Esau. Right, the 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 story of of the Bible is hope of reconciliation. You know, the promise of Isaiah nineteen that eventually Egypt and Assyria and Israel will all reconcile, will all worship together, is an is an enormous hope. It's the enemy that that wants to to cancel out that that hope and that promise. So. Uh, there's a lot there in the Torah portion. And so out of all of that, what could we possibly choose for our Haftarah portion? I hear you ask. Well, they decide, both the Ashkenazis and the Sephardis, uh, choose um, Second Kings. And um, they, uh, they throw in a couple of miracles from Elisha or Elisha, as, uh, as he was known. And uh, Elisha, the, the story of 2 Kings 4 is two major miracles. Okay? It's going to have be the miracle of um, the widow's olive oil, and it's going to be the miracle of a resurrection. So we're going to see those stories and, uh, and uh, the miracle of a son, and that's probably the link 
that they choose that you they see the the, the story of um elisha promising a uh, a barren woman she would have a son and they, they they link that to god promising sarah that she would have a son and they stick those portions together so as we go through the the um the prophet the sorry the the, the kings we'll see um, what themes link in to all the themes that are in the uh, the, the Torah portion. So um, I'll read the first uh, couple of verses of 2 Kings 4 so that we get um, the, the story. And I'm going to be reading from a old classic, an NIV. Ooh, how evil. Oh, oh, oh. I know, I know, I know, I know. You can hear St. James quivering in, in, uh, in panic back then. But uh, it's, it's, a, it's a version that a lot of people can, can understand. It's on the podcast. So the, st- the, the first couple of verses. The wife, and just if you can, just listen. Don't, don't try and follow along. Just listen because in the, in the ancient world, you actually didn't read the Bible. You heard it. So let's 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 ask ourselves: What are we hearing, and what are we not hearing when we when we come to study this sacred history? So the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, "Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys." As his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him. She shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. And that's a a very, very interesting story packed with lots uh, lots of teaching and hopefully a bit of wisdom uh, for us. So, what are some of the things that you heard and didn't hear? Well, one thing you didn't hear, you didn't hear anybody's name apart from Elisha. Well, there's a great miracle, but no one else gets a name. Right? Uh, we don't have the name of um, the, the wife. We don't have a name of the husband. We don't have any names of the kids. Uh, we don't even know where this is. Okay, it's um, uh, and you'd think that if someone's actually serving and taking care of Elisha, 
that they actually might be bothered to give him a name, but they don't. So if you don't get a name, um, what, do Jewish, what do the Jewish sages do? Don't worry, they provide you with a name. And, uh, and just as we have in, in, in hagiography, the lives of the saints, and, the, and, and you know, everybody gets a great name and a story and a history and, uh, in, the, in, in the New Testament. The, the, the Jewish people did it first, and so they've got names for everybody. So the husband, have a guess who he is. I knew you all leapt to Obadiah because you would be correct. Um, the tradition is that this is Obadiah, right? And um, he was a servant. He actually hid some of the um, prophets away from uh, Jezebel and King Ahab when they were looking to go and, and kill them. He hid them in, in, in caves and, and fed them and really took care of them and got to write like a one-chapter book. Um, uh, but, but he didn't live, live – he doesn't – he, like many men, um, are outlived by their ladies, okay? Um and uh, and he ends up um, he's a, he's a, he's serving he's part of the company of prophets and uh, what we just did discover about him is he's actually not very good at business okay he's um, got himself rather in debt how do he get into debt I think you ask well the text doesn't say um, the tr tradition is well he spent all his money saving people right he, he used all his money to take care of all these prophets you know he was feeding them out of his own pocket. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Um, but in either case, he's in he's in he's in debt. He owes money to another person, and that is a normal legal transaction. There's nothing evil about it per se. Okay, um, but when the creditor comes, you know, I kind of need the money that I'm owed. The the debt is has, has matured. There's no way she can. Uh, pay the 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 husband does not have any has not obviously been had provision set aside uh, for her and for the kids. Maybe he died unexpectedly. Maybe he's just really bad businessman, or maybe he really did spend it all on taking care of other people. Um, that would, if that's true, then that would be a um, would that be a, a good action? Is that is that what we're supposed to do? Um, that's a good, good thought or good question to be to be pondering and discuss it uh, in a, in, a, in a minute. Um, so, the the according to the Torah, if you can't pay your debts, what do you do? You go into indentured indentured service. So these sons would then go and serve to pay off the debt. And how long would they do so? Seven years, right? At the end of seven years, they go free. That's what the uh, Moses had, had had shrunk indentured service to, to do. So technically, they've only got seven years of, of labor to do it. Come on, they can pull that off. But so not, um, wife's not going to have any of that. Okay, she's going to go and uh, talk to man of God. Don't you love the phrase that these have? Okay, and uh, and in Hebrew, it's Ish Elohim, right? Just man God. God man. Okay? And the first time you saw that phrase is in Deuteronomy, where uh, it talks about um, uh, Moses, the God man. And, uh, uh, and, and, and the Jewish Midrashim, when they, when they talk about Moses, it says, Moshe Ish Elohim, Moses, the man of God, Moses, man God. The, 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 the rabbinical question is, 
when is Moses man and when is Moses God? Right? When, when does the human stop being the human and when does God take over? And uh, that that's a question that also gets asked of the prophet. Right? When does the prophet stop being a man? When does the prophet start acting like God? And uh, let's have a look at what he does. So, uh, the the Elisha, Elisha, Eli, my God, Sha, from the verb Lohoshia, to save. So it's a very old, archaic form of uh, my God is salvation. Um, Elisha asks, uh, uh, you know, how can I help? As opposed to, he doesn't say, I'll go and talk to the guy. And we'll square this off. Don't worry. You know, I'll go and talk to him. I'll say, "Hey, look, you know, I'm a man of God. You really don't want to uh, take these kids into slavery. Otherwise, lightning bolts will come down from heaven." Right? Now, he could have said something like that, but he doesn't. He because the guy, ha the the creditor, hasn't done anything wrong. Right? He he's made a business deal, and he has the legitimate legal right to get what's owed him. Well, what have you got in your house, man? I've got oil. I mean, we're broke, right? Prophets of God, hey, who knew, right? Um, absolutely no money, as unlike the televangelists that we've got these days. Um, but they're, they're, you know, working for the Lord doesn't always make you rich. In this case, not very much. However, God provides. And um, what what does the, the, the lady have to do? She has to um, engage. She has to ask around she's, she's now part of the miracle okay the, the miracle doesn't just happen i mean it does but she's a part of it she has to go and ask people for jars just carry those jars into her home and then the miracle is done in private in fact both miracles in this chapter are done in private they're not public okay we only know about them because we're actually reading in the text nobody else does right she has to close the door, shut it out. No one else is supposed to see that. And isn't it? That's very, very, very different from the way we like to tell everybody that miracles have happened in our lives, right? Whenever something happens, what do we do? I have a praise report. We start texting it to each other. Okay, let me tell you exactly what happened, right? Here you have the opposite. Close the door. And you start pouring, okay? You're, and you, she, if she could have stopped. He was like, okay, you know, my, my wrist got tired and uh, I'm done. I've you know, got a couple of jars, it'll be fine. She filled them all up. She didn't stop. And only when she when, when, when there was nothing else possibly to do, then the miracle stops. The, uh, the, the actual oil ceases to flow. And now she can pay off her debts. Okay, we have fulfilled the Torah. Okay, we haven't we haven't cheated the creditor out of what is legally rightfully his, and we have complete provision for her and her sons. The incredible generosity that comes from the Lord, the the man of God, who's acting like God, being incredibly generous, and uh, and it's done in secret, and uh, which you 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 often see in the way Jesus talks. And your father who sees things done in secret. This is what he's going to do for you. So we we have to we have to there's that tension between sometimes things that the, some of the blessings of God, some of the miracles of God, some of the ways that he speaks to us 
are done in private. And there are other things that he does that are very public, where you know he really displays his name. And uh, probably many people's prayers these days, as you know, when we're asking the Lord to defend his people, say, Lord, honor your name, defend your name. Don't don't let the enemy, enemy harm your name uh, on this one. Uh, roar like a lion, bleeds into this. So, so today we might be asking for the public, but but I am sure many miracles are occurring in private. And uh, because God is working that way, even if we can't see him doing such a thing. And uh, uh, so uh, we don't know how long the husband has been dead for, but uh, notice that uh, one thing we don't do is don't resurrect the husband. Next story we do. Next story we get a resurrection. But you know, my husband died. He's your servant. He's really cool. And Elisha could have said, you're absolutely right. Get back to life. Take care of your wife. Mm -hmm. So that's not going to happen. Okay. But here, you know, we have a different story. The, uh, the, the woman uh, uh, from Shunem. So I'll read again. And, uh, and you guys listen. So one day, Elisha went to Shunem and uh, found a well-to-do woman was there. And she doesn't get a name either. No one in the story ever gets a name. And she urged him to stay for a meal. Uh, so whenever he came by, he stopped by there to eat. She said to her husband, who also doesn't get a name? Um, I know that the man who comes here is a holy man. And, uh, and so let's make a small room on the roof and mm. put a bed and a table a chair and a lamp for him, and then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. And this this room is uh, what we are later going to identify as the inn, the guest room. Okay? Uh, Mary and Joseph are looking to stay on something like this. They're looking to stay on the roof, uh, but they can't, so they end up staying uh, in, in the manger. But they're with family. They're looking to stay with, with family. Uh, one day, when Elisha came in and he went up to his room, lay down, he and his servant, he gets his other servant, who has a name, okay, Gehazi. And, uh, unfortunately, he, he ends up not being a very um, well-to-do character. He has a very poor end. But at the moment, he's serving. So um, uh, his previous servant, the husband of the, the, of the wife with the oil, he's gone, needs a new one. He's got himself a servant called Gehazi. And... Uh, uh, call the Shunammite. So he calls her, stands before her. Elisha says, uh, listen, you've gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can we do for you? So there's some uh, reward. Now, when you're doing a mitzvah, you're actually not supposed to ask for a reward. But she does. Okay. And uh, now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king? Which, of course, you know that Elisha and Elijah, they get, they, 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 um, they get on really well with kings, so uh, I'm not quite sure that was probably a very good proposition. You might notice that prophets and kings often clash. They were like uh, the check and the balance. With the, the, the forms of, of government that God would give his people, you had the monarchy and you had the prophetic voice, and they were kind of keeping each other um, you know, or trying to keep each other in, in, uh, in check. Uh, and uh, she says... Um, I have a home, I'm my own people, so what can we do for you? She has uh, no son. So Gehazi actually comes forward and actually offers something. 
Uh, she has no son, and her husband is old. Doesn't say that she is, okay? Although it could be implied that. Um, uh, I mean, Abraham and Sarah weren't younglings. And so this is where the, 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 the link is that, that comes. Um, Elisha says, call her. So when they come in, uh, about this time next year, you will hold a son in your arms, which is very close to the prophetic voice that God gives to Sarah. And, uh, and, uh, and she says, man of God, right? Uh, God man, okay? don't mislead your servant. Okay? Please don't fill me full of, of hope. She doesn't, she doesn't have the same response that Sarah has, this sort of, you know, returned it, you don't know, but, but, um, but you, you could possibly imagine that, that thought might have been on, on her mind. Uh, but she does become pregnant and she gives birth to a son, just as Alicia had told her. The, the child grows and then goes out to be with the husband and then unfortunately has some sort of seizure and, uh, and, and ends up, um, dying in the, in the arms of his mother. And so, uh, what happens now is a resurrection story. Now, resurrections, uh, you know, they're not obviously brand new to the New Testament. So there's often we think when Jesus was resurrected, he's, and it is, it's a miracle, all resurrections are miracles, but there are other resurrection stories that occur. This is one of them. Uh, the, uh, uh, she says, <clears throat> please send one of our servants on a donkey and fetch the man of God quickly in return. And the husband says, why? It's not a new moon or a Sabbath. Right? There was this, uh, this, the new moons, which are actually still very important in, in Jewish tradition today. The counting of, of months and the counting of weeks and, uh, the idea of sacred time and being on the sacred calendar and the rhythm that comes with that. And, uh, and, and when you have new moons and you have Sabbaths, then you often try and get yourself into the company of holy people. Okay, you're engaging in holy time, get into the company of, of holy people. And uh, uh, so they saddle a donkey and uh, and they go, uh, don't slow down for anyone and you'll find him on Mount Carmel. Right? So, uh, same sort of location that Elijah called down the fire on the prophets of Baal. And, uh, and when they do, they uh, encounter him, the Elisha says, is everything all right? And uh, they tell her that, uh, that, mm. uh, that the boy is, is not well. And so Gehazi is instructed to go back and uh, he has to return to the house and he put a staff on the, on the child. Interesting thing that you do, exactly why. Staves are incredibly important for holy people. Okay? The sort of uh, mystical relics that holy people carry. Sometimes it's their clothing, and sometimes it's their, the objects that they hold in their hands, like Moses's rod, Aaron's rod, uh, the staff that buds, um, the, the, the serpent on a pole, uh, uh, the clothing uh, that doesn't wear out, the clothing of Adam, uh, the clothing of Elijah, the cloak that they have is also um, uh, a holy relic. And that actually shows up in the New Testament, where you end up with the holy handkerchief of Antioch. Where um, the uh, the the very the very sweat of an apostle okay is uh, has healing qualities 
And, um, and so there is something about the holy objects or relics of people. So literally the power of, of people can be fused into things. Now, I don't mean to, um, big note Christchurch, but, uh, the, the Christchurch inside the old city has been saturated in the prayers of the saints for, for 200 years. And, uh, and people can know that. When, when non-believers come onto the compound, they go, this place feels different. It's the very spirit is like infused itself in the ground. And that happens. That, that actually really, really does happen. So stuff gets laid on the child, which does not come back to life. But when the man of God comes, when, when Elijah comes, uh, he goes in and he, he, he closes the door. So again, you have a non public miracle but the first thing that he does is he prays okay? a little prayer uh, 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 he, in, in, just as he went in he shuts the door uh, on the two of them and he prayed to the Lord but doesn't he say what he prayed but he acknowledges in some way that that the Lord has to be a part of it it's not like he has the authority to do such a thing. He's acknowledging that his authority actually comes from a much higher power. And uh, so he acknowledges that. And then he, uh, he, he does this sort of mouth to mouth resuscitation event, but just a resurrection. This is actually something that he's, um, seen, um, Elijah do, uh, with the Phoenician boy in the uh, city of uh, Zerfah. Um, so he's, uh, he's mimicking Something that he's seen his master, his master do. And then the, the boy comes, uh, comes back, comes back to life, uh, sneezing seven times. It was a very interesting thing to have to say. And, uh, um, what was it that, the, that needed to come out? Was it a, a spirit? Was it a sickness? Was it, uh, some sort of, was, why is the number seven there simply to, to reflect, um, the, the cycle, the rhythm of Sabbaths and moons and time and uh, completion could be, could be all, all of those things. But you end up with um, life and resurrection. And, uh, and so these, and provision, yeah. provision, paying off of debts. You've got life and resurrection and the Torah portion that it's attached to is, is um, the birth of Isaac. Which is on Passover, where you have this sacrifice that cancels out debts. Um, you even have the midrash of a resurrection. You decide this idea that Abraham actually kills Isaac, he then gets resurrected. Um, and, uh, and this, and it's wrapped up from the start of the Torah portion when Sarah has said, Will I be able to go back to Eden? Will I be able to return back? To, uh, where where everything was before the curse. Can I go back before before the, the time before the fall? Um, which is the hope for us all. Is that when Messiah comes and, and he defeats death and there is no such thing and then we have a new heaven and new earth, the renewed heaven and new earth. Um this it, it just joins it in actually very well together. The link I think is for, for Jewish people, they they they, they link the, the um, promise of the sun. 
um, in both Sarah and in, uh, in the, the, the woman from Shunem. But uh, the themes that are there, they track together so very well. And um, I wonder if, uh, if our Jewish brothers can actually see some of these beautiful connections. So, brothers and sisters, over to you. Let's see if we can uh, discuss our, uh, our portion. All right. So, thoughts. 